Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Hello, everyone. My name is Yasin Almandra, crypto analyst at ARC. And uh, today I'm really excited to be joined by uh, Raul Pal to discuss evolving uh, crypto narratives. Uh, Raul is the founder and CEO of uh, Real Vision and uh, quite uh, an active, uh, some might even say controversial figure on crypto Twitter. Uh, Raul, I've had the pleasure of, of following you for some time on Twitter. Uh, you responded to one of my tweets, which, which we'll get into, uh, and have tuned into several of your interviews and, and podcasts and, and really respect your views and um, want to open this as a make this an open conversation um, on how, you know, your thinking has evolved, our thinking has evolved, uh, and maybe reconcile what we laid out uh, in, in the big ideas section. So welcome, Raul. Great, great to have you. Fantastic to be here, Yassine. Really looking forward to this. Awesome. Uh, so naturally, and I, I don't know if you haven't had the time to take a look at uh, our, our crypto big idea section, but you know we've, we've effectively uh, segmented the opportunity in three parallel revolutions. Um, one, uh, a monetary revolution, uh, a financial revolution, and uh, an internet revolution. Um, and and I, I really kind of want to discuss some of the evolving narratives that we've seen, um, you know, across the space, specifically in 2021, uh, and how your views ha have changed as well um, as, as you look at this more as, a, as an investment opportunity. Um, and that, I think it makes most sense to maybe dive straight into Bitcoin, uh, which we've kind of categorized as the blockchain uh, that will likely uh, take the, the most share in the monetary revolution. Uh, and that stands uh, in a league of its own. Um, but we want to start the conversation by kind of getting your views on Bitcoin. Uh, I know that they have evolved uh, and, and we'll take it from there. So my view on Bitcoin kind of remains what it always was, which was, and I, I coined this a while ago, is I think of it as the kind of perfect collateral layer of, the, of this new digital economy because it's pristine collateral in the way that it can't be debased. You know, if you think of how, let's say, a treasury bond works, it's kind of weird because when everybody needs treasury bonds, the Fed creates more of them. So your collateral is actually worth less over time, which is the debasement of money idea. Now, you can't do that with Bitcoin. So if Bitcoin is your base layer of collateral, then what you get is an ability to get paid for people wanting collateral in a collateral squeeze which is when, what the financial system needs at its base. But I became, it became obvious to me that Bitcoin doesn't solve every problem. It solves certain problems really well, and others it doesn't solve as well. So that's, that, that was really my evolution. And then as the space broadened out, you realized, okay, this is an incredibly deep, fast-moving space with so many applications that it doesn't make sense to be all on one blockchain. Different blockchains will specialize in different things. So that's basically my Bitcoin hypothesis. I mean, and, and absolutely. And I think that's kind of an, an important point. Uh, and, and one that uh, we, we often kind of are, especially the, the crypto narratives the, the, being very tribal in nature, 
like to kind of talk past each other. And, and we briefly mentioned this before recording this, uh, that it's hard to have nuanced uh, debate on Twitter. Uh, but I, I think ultimately you, you bring up a really good point uh, that, as, that as someone myself who is you know, primarily philosophically aligned with the Bitcoin narrative as bringing this kind of decentralized, sovereign, uncensorable money to the world, uh, in order to do that in the most effective way, there needs to be trade-offs that are made uh, that makes it uh, impossible to have a one-size-fits-all model. Um, so in a lot of ways, there, there is kind of this, this almost um, a d- defense mechanism uh, that Bitcoiners have where they're like, we can solve all the problems, but it's like, if you want to solve all the problems, then you can't solve the problem that you're really trying to solve for, which is you know, redefining global-based money. Uh, given yeah. the trade-offs that are required. I think that's true. Look, network effects are real and how people drive network effects are not only growing the network, but defending the network. So that's what the Bitcoin narrative is. The, the incredible maxi pushback is the defending of the network. It should We should conquer all. But the reality is, I think that, and the question I'll give back to you is, what is the money part you're trying to solve? Do we have to solve every part of money or is that just a legacy way of looking at it? Is it cert- Can we break money down into certain functions and split it down? I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I, I think at its core, what Bitcoin is trying to solve for is this really this kind of global, predictable base money. Now, now wh- whether you incorporate sort of financial uh, services as, in, as a part of money is a separate discussion. Uh, but I think Bitcoin at its core... Uh, is supposed to provide almost this boring digital store of value that is uncensorable, that is uninflatable, that does really just one thing very well. And that is, you know, transferring ownership in a predictable way that allows for you to go from effectively store and transfer value uh, and that value being high, high value. Uh, so effectively a large value uh, global settlement network. Um, that requires at the base layer, I, I'd argue, you know, very explicit conservative design principles, um, where if Bitcoin is going to, uh, you know, be predictable in the way that it is, then it can't necessarily compete um, in the kind of the technological revolution that we're seeing uh, in, in, uh, in other public blockchains. So I, I, I view Bitcoin really as this monetary revolution uh, that, that requires conservatism at the base layer. Uh, that that effectively trades off the ability to to compete in in kind of the feature rich uh, world of, of other public blockchains. Yeah, and I I totally agree with that. The only thing I can't square in my head yet is you and I both talk about it as a base layer or pristine collateral. The issue is it's not being used as such by anybody. And that's well, so- I can't get my head around because actually what is the collateral of this current system is ETH. Now I'm no ETH maximalist either. I'm just an observer. And I'm like, I can't square that away because it's not like at the bottom of every DeFi protocol is the collateral of Bitcoin. It's yeah. not. Yeah. So, it, it, so I, I guess it depends on on your your universal set of what users look like. So, you know, I'd argue that uh, El Salvador's adoption of Bitcoin is the type of user uh, that Ethereum might never attract. Uh, and that's effectively because it's being used as a nation state treasury. Uh, it's it's It isn't really venture funded. It's had this kind of you know, mystical uh, founders myth where there isn't a single point of failure in the way that, you know, other emerging blockchains um, might might see. Uh, so, you know, 
I don't I don't necessarily think that it's productive to limit usability of Bitcoin to kind of DeFi or posting it as collateral to, to borrow and, and spend. Um, you know, I'm I'm from Morocco myself, which is an emerging market. Uh, and when you discuss kind of the 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 demand for uh, a hedge against, uh, you know, a capricious governments, uh, something like Bitcoin is 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 top of mind. Uh, over something like, uh, you know, Ethereum or, or an Yeah, and I think the point being is they're two entirely different things. I think exactly. we probably violently agree with each other. And I think that you make sense is it depends what kind of adoption we're looking for within it. If we're looking for nation states, corporate balance sheets and others, then stuff like Ethereum doesn't make sense because it is not, it's not trying to be money. It's trying to do other things. But base layer of money... Yes, I mean it works at that kind of sovereign state level, corporate level, a supranational entity level. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or twenty-four-seven in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Yeah. And, and I mean, we're even seeing that in, in a stat in the big ideas section that we saw is, is people are recognizing that Bitcoin doesn't necessarily offer the functionality that Ethereum offers. And so they wrap their Bitcoin on Ethereum as an ERC-20 token and then do kind of the same high power functionality but have exposure to Bitcoin's price movements, of course, not without uh, counterparty risk, but uh, it kind of still a, a, an important broader observation that I think that this is a positive sum game. I think Ethereum does things that Bitcoin simply does not, cannot, and should not want to do. And I think Bitcoin uh, does things that, that Ethereum uh, will never be able to do. You know, if, simply the, the idea of, let's say, just transitioning uh, from one consensus algorithm to another is, is, is something that, you know, Ethereum is, is trying to do with the transition to proof of stake, but that Bitcoin and its, and its philosophy w w would never do. And, and actually, you know, argues that that's a, a fundamental, um, you know, mishap on, on Ethereum's point, uh, given, given just the, the general kind of lack of, of predictability that comes with these sort of technological upgrades. Um, so if, if I recap that, it's almost like Bitcoin pr prides itself on the predictability of the rules. Um, it doesn't offer all the features that other chains offer because it needs to be predictable and it's serving a specific singular use case. Uh, and, and vice versa, it's, it's Bitcoin kind of needs to almost embrace some of the innovation and experimentation we're seeing outside of it. Uh, recognizing that there are different trade-offs being made, uh, namely kind of choosing that innovation over experimentation uh, over the kind of stability or predictability of the network. Yeah, and it depends how we address this. If you address it philosophically, that's fine, but we also have to address it as investors. So true. predictability itself does not necessarily generate superior returns. I mean, and so... I, that's how I look at the ecosystem. I look at network adoption. Um, now, whether that's Ethereum or Solana or NFTs or any part of the ecosystem and use that as my guide because what I'm trying to do here is capitalize on participating in a technological revolution. Some yeah. of that is money, 
and that can be separated out. I can just own some Bitcoin. But like we do with US Treasuries, we don't own them all the time because there are times when you go want to go out the risk curve and times when you want to come further closer to the risk curve. So that's kind of how I think of it. That's a great point. That's a great point. I think we let's further unpack that because there is this conflation, I think, part of why people get so emotional between people who look at this as like a philosophical and, and ideological revolution and people who look at this as, OK, I'm an investor, an asset manager, and I want to maximize my my risk adjusted returns. Uh, so if we were to look at you know the latter, it's like to think that Bitcoin is going to outperform these other next generation assets. I, I, I don't think there's an expectation that that's going to occur. Like I, I would I would argue that Bitcoin is likely uh, going to underperform. I don't know. I still fight on Twitter all day over that. Yeah, I, I, I guess the, the, the slight pushback, though, is that, you know, Shiba Inu, for instance, uh, is likely going to outperform Ethereum as well or, so, or, or the next generation meme coin. Um, and, and so the, the, the broader point is that if we sort of focus exclusively on what is going to maximize returns without anchoring ourselves to like an ethos or remaining principled in what these networks are trying to solve for, I think we end up actually reverting or have, have increased our probabilities of reverting to the status quo, right? No, so I, think, not, yeah. I, I don't think so. And I don't okay. think so because it's time horizon that matters the most. So yeah. Shiba Inu might outperform over periods of risk where it becomes a mean and then it disappears or it, or it becomes less significant in value. Doge, let's see how that changes as... Mm-hmm. as Tesla start to accept it. Mark Cuban starts to accept it. Who knows? Can they build the other side of the network effects? That's possible. But I think over time, these things will be proven out and where they fit in the ecosystem. And, you know, Ethereum's network adoption has been faster than Bitcoin recently. So we've seen that growth. Will that play out in the next five years? No clue. But our job really is to find that. Having a philosophy doesn't really help you as an investor. However... I also believe that, well, because every time I've seen people with an anti-Fed philosophy or an anti-this or a pro-that, they always get killed. There is a difference in this space because the technology is integrated with the network itself. So people can be philosophical builders on this network because they want to build a better future. And that's great. And I completely encourage that. Mm -hmm. But don't criticize somebody else for not sharing this philosophy and that if you don't, then you're a heathen. That smacks to me of religion, and it's not. That shouldn't come into investing. So I, I, I totally agree. I think in the in the in the context of investing, if anything, we need to encourage free market, and it, it goes counter to some of the the philosophies that that many of the hard hardcore Bitcoiners uh, preach of like free market experimentation. Um, where I'd push back though, especially in the context of crypto. Is I what I mean by philosophy is the underlying chains and the network mechanics of what they're trying to solve for are are principled and have specific are grounded in specific values. Um, otherwise, I think that there is a risk of optimizing for better, faster, cheaper bells and whistles, higher convenience until we revert to the status quo. I think a great example of that is some of the debates that we're seeing between Ethereum and Solana, for example. Um, where it's interesting that the same uh, criticism that Ethereum had towards Bitcoiners of, of being closed minded or, um, you know, not necessarily being receptive to innovation, um, you know, the, the sort of Solana uh, users are, are having towards Ethereum. 
where where it's like you know you need to be optimizing for lower transaction fees because people can't afford to uh, settle on chain. Um, and we know that Solana is making specific trade-offs relative to Ethereum, namely, kind of their consensus mechanism is is more centralized. Um, you know, they they are funded by venture capitalists in the, in, in, in I'd say a more um, extreme way than Ethereum. Uh, and so I, I'd be curious on your take there, where it's like, where where does it end if you don't? I don't have think a principled philosophy. I don't think any of us can play the voice of God, and the market will choose. So if the market wants cheaper, less less decentralization, yeah. faster, those trade-offs the market will take. And we can yell from the sidelines saying, how dare you do this? And we sound like gold investors. Sure. You know, we have to be really careful on imposing mm -hmm. our wish versus what the market chooses. Because if not, we get left behind often point. by it's, sticking it's a to a point. prior narrative. I think... What I do love about this space is there are people focus on specifics. So spreading the core philosophy of Bitcoin, if they can get network adoption of their narrative, fantastic. It's good for everybody. Um, so it's kind of, it, it's more fluid, I think, than than people okay. want it to be. So I, I, I definitely agree with your point on the market will ultimately decide. And I, and I also agree with you in the sense that I don't think the market has decided what the right balance between call it convenience and decentralization looks like. Uh, but is it fair to acknowledge that if we end up overcorrecting for convenience and centralization, that we end up reverting to the status quo? And then ultimately, what is the value proposition of public blockchains if it ends up just looking like a visa? The, the um, question is, is and, how are you going to stop it? In a free market full of entrepreneurs all looking for an edge, it's impossible to stop. Now, so you have to hope that the market sees the relative differences and understands the trade-offs. Um, and you can, we can talk about that and explain it to people. But the point being is because it's decentralized, it's not like Google making a decision here. There's millions of entrepreneurs deciding to try something yeah. different. And we can't say don't. Definitely. No, I, I, I'm a proponent of, of free market experimentation. Uh, and it, but, but I do think that it is interesting that the philosophy as a, a, what these networks should represent and the potential uh, investment returns are in some ways at odds with each other. Uh, so maybe I'd love to get your sense of what, what do you think the, the 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 let's say crypto networks outside of bitcoin and ethereum what are what are what are their ultimate value propositions relative to the status quo because uh, you mentioned it's like it's in it, it, it's not something that we can necessarily control uh if we resort to and to, to to the status quo um the question is you know maybe outside of you as an investor uh do you share some like specific kind of philosophical uh, ideas of, of what these are trying to represent in the context of status quo infrastructure? Or are you just purely looking at, at this as a, a as trying to maximize returns? As no, well? I look at it at a much broader level than all of this. I look at it as the enabling the digital age for the transfer and ownership of value in whichever format that comes. And we have, we will have millions of different needs and use cases for millions of different things. 
which ones su survive is like any business. Which network survives? It depends whether people believe in it, they find utility from it and value from it. If that is the case, it can survive. But we don't know where this is going. Yep. So I'm not thinking of it in any way as an investor in my long-term horizon, apart from the fact that it's probably, whatever it is, $2 trillion today, and it probably goes to $200 trillion. How that's composed in the future, I have no idea. And But what I know is where it's going and why it's going there, because to create the internet of value, which is distributed, giving ownership back to the individual away from giant corporations, is something that the whole space is building towards. So that philosophy, everybody shares. Which is interesting versus the specific philosophies of different protocols. So, so what do you think are the characteristics? Uh, we don't know what the winning chain might look like, let's say. Let's assume that. But what do you think of the, the, the characteristics of 10 years down the line of, of what kind of a winning public blockchain looks like to enable that transfer of digital ownership? I, I don't believe in a winning blockchain. I think it shifts over time. I believe in interoperability. And the fact that we will choose to trade off, let's say we want to give out some NFTs to Real Vision users. Now, we might not use Ethereum because it's going to cost us $250 to, to mint. So maybe we use another chain. But if it's interoperable, you can then store it in your Ethereum wallet. You know, there's, I, you know, again, I think we're so used to the monopolistic tendencies of large corporations who can create moats that we forget that this is the almost the opposite and we can and we don't know what the outcomes are and that's half the excitement of the space is not knowing now as you said i don't think there's any competition to bitcoin at that moneyness layer that base but that base layer that pristine collateral because nothing else is trying to solve for that because it's actually hard to improve but for the other elements once interoperability comes in we can use Bitcoin, Ethereum, Solana, whatever we want, interoperably for different purposes. That's going to create a whole new hybrid structure of opportunities that we just don't have today, which is interesting. Yeah. That's, that's an interesting point. Of, of course, recognizing, though, that choosing a Solana over an Ethereum or an Ethereum over a Bitcoin comes with, with trade-offs. And I think that that's like, I'd say the, the, the broader point here, of I'm a proponent of of interoperability, and I think that may, maybe phrasing it as the winning chain is is counterproductive. But I ultimately think that if there isn't a set of of e principles and values that are consistent with what public blockchain infrastructure represents, uh, then you just end up with the status quo. Well, and it, in, in which case, it's it's not as compelling and, of, of an innovation. And I kind of don't really agree with that. I kind of think that each individual network has its narratives and sub-narratives. Mm -hmm. If that narrative is attractive enough to enough people, it will grow as a network. And if it's not attractive, it won't grow as a network. So Shiba Inu is unlikely to grow as a network over time unless it has a network utility, which it currently doesn't have. So in which case, interest dies over time. So it's the same if somebody sees something is too centralized and the crowd the hive mind of people involved in this, decide that that's not what they want. They will migrate to a chain that has more decentralization. Um, so again, I, I don't think it's up to us to say, but we can choose the ecosystem we want. So I choose to be 
a more active participant in the Ethereum ecosystem because of how it treats its network participants, which is less um, combative than than those in the Bitcoin ecosystem. That will change over time too. Narrative shift, people shifts, that kind of stuff. But, you know, I think we tend to coalesce around places, networks that we feel suit our needs. And if the market decides that decentralization, the ultimate decentralization is the need, they will co coalesce around Bitcoin. If they don't, they won't. Fair. And again, that's what makes yeah. it super interesting, both for an investment and also from a larger philosophical standpoint of this is a ant colony hive mind building out a financial future where no one person has a say. I mean, it's incredible. Definitely. And I, and I, and I think that's I think that's also why it's it, it's it's hard to, to fault even the quote unquote toxic uh, Bitcoiners that a lot of people like to claim they are. Because the Bitcoiners, and to your point, like there, there really is no community. We're all just like a bunch of random strangers that are interested in different uh, public uh, infrastructure technologies that uh, that like to, you know, rant on Twitter. Um, so <laughs> I, I, I definitely think that there's a kind of there's there's value to like to, to, to detaching yourself emotionally from from these networks, uh, and 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 that's something I, I massively respect and. And, and what you, you're doing as an investor. I, you know, I've spent a bit of time looking at investigating why people react the way they do on social media. And it's never for the reason you think it is. Um, I had this once I got involved in anti-climate change Twitter. And I actually singled off a few people to have a conversation. I'm like, what, what is it that you actually fear? Why will you not take Pascal's dilemma? Why, why will you not think that the upside of, of of less pollution and greening takes away the catastrophic downside, why would you not take that bet? And the answer came back from many people is, we don't want our gas prices to rise and we don't want them to increase our tax on our petrol. So what it was, was, was actually it was an economic situation that has spilled over into a philosophical situation. And I think we'll probably see the same in Bitcoin where many people have got into that network, they believe in it as their store of money, and they don't like it if it gets threatened because they don't have a lot of money. And it's terrifying to them, and, and rightly so. And I, I get it. I understand why emotion spreads so much, particularly when it's a network that you own a part of. So it's a really complex psychological thing, as well as an economic thing, as well as a financial thing. Definitely, definitely. I, I, I maybe. My view on, on kind of the the general um, approach that Bitcoiners have, I think it ends up long term being uh, a feature and not a bug. Like, I actually don't think that there's such thing as a toxic maximalist. I think it's someone who really loves Bitcoin and, uh, and, and is, is exclusively interested in Bitcoin. Uh, with that being said, it's like there needs to sort of be that acknowledgement that there are other things that are happening that are attracting mindshare. Um, that, that, they don't, that they don't even need there. to do that. Yeah. They just need to not insult other people. I, I, you don't, I you I, don't I create network participation and a thriving network by insulting people who don't share your view. You know, that's I, been proven I, I time and time. I, I'd argue, though, that Bitcoin wouldn't be affected by any insults that, um, that, that I'm it is at. because it's all about network growth. It's provable. And if you don't grow the network, then the value of the network is less. I, I Again, I think it depends on where you're seeing network growth. I think 
Bitcoin has settled more value than it's settled ever. Uh, we're seeing adoption. I don't think El Salvador looked at Bitcoin maximalists as an impediment to adopting Bitcoin as legal tender. I don't think my my father is in Morocco, you know, cares to look through Twitter. He's just looks at Bitcoin as a fixed supply asset. Because the growth in, because Metcalf's law would state that it's the number of connections on the network and the interconnectedness, right? Bitcoin has an issue with interconnectedness because it doesn't use smart contracts as yet. So you're creating less interconnections between the network. It has some giant network participants, but networks aren't driven by the single large participants. It's driven by the whole thing. So what you've got to look at is what is the user growth and the transaction growth on Bitcoin versus other chains. And you'll find that it was more lackluster than others over the last 12 months and hence why it underperformed. So I, um, I, I'd be cautious of not thinking you need to treat people in the network I, I agree. I, think, I mean, but I, I don't think that's representative of Bitcoin, the network. I think it's, you know, in the same way that people like, you know, are, are they're individuals. It's like, I, I don't necessarily think yeah, that that is representative of. No, but Bitcoin. it might be representative of people on Twitter, some people on Twitter, yeah. some people, right? Some, some people, I, I love Bitcoin people who believe in the philosophy, want to work for that world. I love it. I can hold the view in my head of, of hyper Bitcoinization, I can hold that view and I have no issue with it. Um, but on Twitter, which is many people's on ramp, if you are attacking them, then you're not going to on ramp them. It's really that straightforward. I, I agree with that. I, I, I do still think that Bitcoin doesn't necessarily need the support of any single individual on Twitter. And I think we're seeing that with just adoption, not necessarily by number of users, but by kind of the scale of, of value. I think Bitcoin scales based on real inflows, not based on number of users. Uh, and we're starting to see at the institutional grade level uh, just just how much uh, adoption we've seen. Uh, but to, to your point, I, I, I still think it's uh, quite an interesting debate. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I know we're, we're wrapping up on time, but I would love to maybe get your get your sense of kind of the macro environment relative to crypto. Uh, yeah, I, I listened to your podcast with with Robert Breedlove and thought it was one of the most informative on kind of the macro take. Uh, would would love to get like what you're seeing in the markets now, um, you know, as an as, as an asset allocator. So the macro environment is, I think. Why we're seeing volatility right now is the shift of narratives. Markets don't like that shift. So the narrative was the inflation shift. The inflation shift last year, I think what happened is inflation was real and inflation destroyed um, marginal spending and marginal investing. And I think we've saw, seen it in meme stocks. I've seen it, we've seen it across the market. We've seen it in um, cryptocurrencies where the marginal investor got marginalized because they didn't have enough money. Um, So I think that was one of the features of what happened. And the bond market was pricing in some more inflation, but not a great deal. However, that narrative is shifting. All the forward-looking indicators I look at look like both growth and inflation slow much faster than the market expects. 
So then they're struggling to think, how do we price growth equities? How do we price um, other types of equities in that shifting environment? Because we're going to have a period of time where growth is slowing and inflation is going to look high, and then inflation follows because inflation lags. So I think we're at a shift. My general view, and I've held this for a while now, is that the central banks are more likely to get away with one hike, two hikes max, before they're looking at stimulative measures again. Because I don't think the economy has got traction, and we don't know what the true traction is of the economy until maybe two years, three years after the pandemic recession has followed through. Uh, That's very typical of every recession I've ever followed, is basically there is a growth slowdown that comes fast afterwards. The market panic starts talking about recession again. Usually that doesn't happen. There's generally more stimulus. So I think it's very supportive of crypto prices overall. I think crypto has gone through that transition phase. We saw the marginal spending investing in crypto go down. I I think now all I'm doing is speaking to large institutions about investing. Um, So I think the ongoing investment thesis continues. um, And I think that the central banks will be more dovish than people expect going forwards. So we should have a longer cycle um, with um, more tailwinds than most people expect right now. Awesome. And, and just last question, do you think the correlations relative to other asset classes, how do you see that uh, playing out? Uh, I know we, we've seen last uh, kind of few months quite high, high correlations with just tech a- equity. Um, yeah, would so- be- Get your thoughts there on how that might so evolve. look everything is a risk curve every mm-hmm. single part of the investable universe and crypto is part of that risk curve sometimes it's correlated sometimes it's not when you go to a macro shift everything gets a correlation of one right. <laughs> and we've seen that um so it periodically correlates and periodically decouples depending where we're on the risk curve it tends to be really decoupled in that mid-cycle phase where Growth is okay. Central bank policy is loose. Crypto does its own thing. But it's when people are having to bring cash back. Let's say you're a hedge fund. You've now invested, got a mandate to invest in crypto. You've got you know your equity position blowing up. You need to reduce risk. The risk manager taps as volatility rises. VAR means you reduce your portfolio risk. So you're selling crypto, even though you don't want to. Mm-hmm. It's a function of risk markets. We won't get around that ever because everything is the same, unless it's got no mark-to-market, which is why people like VC and people like real estate, because there's no real-time mark-to-market. But I think the correlation, crypto looks more like a currency in terms of its correlation, which is known as Bayesian in distribution, which means it has passing correlations that shift always. And crypto does that because it's correlated to the bond market, it's correlated to the equity market, it's correlated to something else, um, and it comes and goes and sometimes zero correlation and that's very typical of currencies people think currencies are interest rate differentials and stuff like that virtually no correlation to that at all very interesting well thank you so much for your insight rule had a pleasure i i really hope this is the first of many conversations that we end up having uh enjoyed the the friendly debate and uh looking forward to seeing you on the on the twitterverse yeah and we'll get you on real vision we can further our conversation because it's always good to talk about this stuff absolutely thank you so much thanks everyone